from the somewhat stinky studios of Univest at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It is time for another weed-free episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. Are you the lucky beneficiary of fresh horse or cow manure? I'm Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll discuss how to use these valuable natural inputs without accidentally growing a garden of Wheaties. Plus, lots of your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and ferociously factual felicitations. So stay right where you are, cats and kittens. It's all coming up faster than the plants you wanted to grow instead of the ones the barnyard animals ate right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, many of you are the lucky recipients of manure from your neighbors or perhaps your own stables. Ah, but even more of you are addicted to tilling your garden in the spring. We'll tell you later on why those two things don't mix. Get it? Mix? It's kind of a kind of it's cold here, folks. Okay, give me a break. Anyway, that's up after your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Grace, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thank you, Grace. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. And where is Grace doing well? I live in Mansfield Township, Warren County. My address is Washington, New Jersey, so I'm not very far from you. Okay, and... um, I realize it'll be later that this call gets aired, but how'd you do for snow? Um, probably four to five inches. Mm, yeah, boy, uh, I needed the exercise, but uh, I didn't need the exercise, if you know what I mean. I, I hear you. All right, what can we do for Grace in New Jersey? Okay, I have an old bathtub that we took out when we were doing remodeling, and it down by my barn, there for years. It was for a time used as a watering trough when I had my cows. Those anymore, unfortunately. So I have a question: What kind of suggestions you have for using that old bathtub? Oh well, that bathtub would make a great gigundous uh, container. Um, yeah. What kind of sun does it get? Well, where it is, it would get a lot of sun in the morning. Okay, well, that's preferable. Um, A lot of times when we get deep into summer, uh, we don't want that continuous sun all day. Uh, Our plants would like a little shade in the afternoon. But morning sun is essential for keeping the plants healthy. Now, the issue with things, I, I, and I'm, I have to admit, I'm a little disappointed. I thought you were going to tell me you had this fabulous uh, claw-footed tub that you had got in an estate no, sale or no, something. No, it's not that old. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I like looking at them. I'm not sure I'd like getting in and out of them. So, um, 
the big issue with these things has always been how to fill it without using a ton of compost and topsoil. And one of the things that we've been discussing a lot on the show lately is a technique called hugel culture. Now, uh, many people will still tell you to fill half the tub with styrofoam peanuts or gravel or, you know, shards of broken terracotta pots. But um, this technique is a form of permaculture, and it gets around that need and benefits the plants. So what you want to do is fill this sucker up at least halfway with fallen wood, you know, stuff that's laying around in the woods, branches. Yeah, we all, (laughs) those of us who live in, as soon as you said you had cows, I knew you'd have lots of branches. They, they kind of go together. So um, what you do is you fill it up halfway with the wood, and then you put your growing soil on top of that. And what happens is the wood will slowly disintegrate and it will release continuous nutrients into your soil and into your plants, um, and, but it won't lay there like rocks or peanuts doing nothing because plant roots hate it when they're growing through soil and then all of a sudden they get some styrofoam packing material. Uh, but this way, the roots can actually help break down the wood and the broken down wood will feed the plants. So uh, depending on, do you have any idea what you want to grow? No, not really. Maybe tomatoes. I don't know. It's probably some vegetables, huh? Okay. Well, for tomatoes, you want, you don't want to fill it up more than halfway with wood because, you know, okay. um, I hope you follow uh, the premise of planting your tomatoes deeply so that, yes. so the part of the stem is covered. So you need some depth for that. So um, fill half the bottom with wood, and you don't have to worry if the wood is soft or rotten or anything like that. Um, It doesn't need to be in perfect condition. Matter of fact, I'd say wood that's been laying around a year or two would be ideal because it's going to break down faster. Oh, and I have lots of that. And then on top, you want a mixture of good quality compost screened topsoil, and mix a big bag of perlite into all that. Uh, You should be able to find bulk compost and uh, screened topsoil at your local nursery or garden center. And as that's getting shoveled in there, keep mixing in perlite. Um, Perlite looks like little styrofoam balls, But it's actually a popped volcanic mineral uh, that both holds moisture and improves drainage. And the way it does that is it's pocketed with all these little holes and crevices. And so when it rains, they get filled up. But because they're solid material, they're also allowing the water, once they're filled up, to just go away, to just drain away. But then when we go through dry times, it releases that water to our plants. It's actually the perfect soil amendment. 
and for those people who are back to the land and, and just want to use what's on their property, it's the one thing I tell them they really should go out and buy, you know, unless they're near a volcano and they have a giant oven, you know. But I think you'll do great. Um, okay. Is it against the side of the barn? Well, it's in front of it. Uh, it's a possibility I might also move it closer to the house. Okay. Um, but basically, you're saying the morning, if I'm doing tomatoes, something like that, the morning sun is among the more important Oh, things always. Also. Every single mm-hmm. plant that I can think of wants morning, morning sun. Morning sun? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, and you know, if you are moving it in front of the house... And either you're handy or you know somebody who's, like, crafty, uh, they can always paint it to make it look really cool on the outside. Well, that's a good idea. That's a very good idea. Well, you got the you got the big thing. You got the big container. So, you know, yes. I think you're good to go. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And um, I hope you have a good growing season. Thank you. And I hope we all do. Yes. And I hope lots of people get out there gardening. Yeah, we need to. All right. Well, bye-bye for now. Bye. Thanks again. My pleasure. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Little bug, 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 Well, it's time for me to take a little break and warn everybody who hasn't already found out the hard way that it is time to be ready for winter snow and ice. Check the batteries in your flashlights and emergency radios. Be sure any portable power supplies are fully charged and close by. And move firewood close to the house if you're lucky enough to have a wood stove. And kindling. Don't forget the kindling. But don't go checking your supplies just yet, because we'll be right back to take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. And coming up later in the show, do you have a tiller? Do you enjoy getting out there and breaking up the soil in the spring? Well, we're going to tell you why it's one of the worst things you could do. After more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Adam, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, Adam. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you? I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking. Um, Good to hear it. And where is Adam doing fine? Um, I'm doing fine in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, big gardening and farming area just to the west of us. Uh, what can we do you for? Well, um, last year was the first year that I tried growing musk melons, or perhaps it was the second year, but um, first year I was, had any success with them. I grew them up a trellis. They looked like they were doing great. I had 20 or so of them. They Lipped from the vine. They smelled wonderful. I cut them open and they're all kind of bitter tasting. So I was wondering how I can actually make musk melons that taste good too. Now, uh, when you say musk melon, you're using the correct term uh, for what are sold as cantaloupes in the grocery store? Right. Yeah. I wanted the cantaloupes. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, I mean, I, I love it when people know the correct name and don't follow this, um, this name that was foist upon the plant that has nothing to do with it, really. Um, a true cantaloupe is um, supposed to be the tastiest melon you can you can grow. But obviously, we're used to growing eastern and western uh, netted melons. So um, I'm glad you knew the difference. Now, so... Uh, are you a longtime gardener? Um, about a decade now, yes. And um, thanks to your show, too, you, you've uh, your advice has helped me along the way a lot. Oh, well, um, thank you. Yeah. And uh, do you grow in raised beds, flat earth? What? Uh, it sounds like this. Where Where was this trellis growing out of? A little of both. Um, this trellis specifically was in a raised bed that was about two and a half feet high. It has kind of a um, uh, hugel culture base. There's like some logs in the bottom of it and then um, a compost mix on top of it. Okay, that is taking on like crazy, uh, taking off the hugel culture of using the bottom for old rotten wood and uh, growing your stuff on top of that. Now, I guess the first question I have for you is, did you grow cucumbers at the same time? Um, yes, different beds, same kind of soil mix. Those always do well. Okay. Here is a weird possibility. 
Actually, it's not that weird. It's well documented. Um, Melons and uh, cucumbers are members of the same large family. I think it's pronounced curcubit. And when they cross-pollinate, and one thing we can talk about if you want is melons are very promiscuous. They cross-pollinate with a lot of other plants. Bees love to go to melon flowers, and then they go to the flowers of other plants. Now, theoretically, that's not supposed to affect the current crop. That would only affect the seeds that would be planted the following year, would affect the fruits of those seeds. But we have many, many instances of people growing, uh, you know, there is, a, there is a plant that's very popular called bitter melon, but that's not what you wanted to grow. Um, there is a lot of evidence that they can pr- cross, cross-colonate. I like that. Cross-colonate <laughs> in the field. And the result can be a good-looking, good-smelling um, melon that is, uh, that is bitter. Really? Yeah. Um, a little-known fact, as they, they would say on Cheers. Yeah. Now, um, I'm looking at an email you sent us, um, and you said you did uh, contact the seed company. Uh, Correct, yeah. And? Um, so when I contacted the seed company, it was, this is a smaller melon that's supposed to be very, um, productive and give me lots of melons, which it did. Um, they told me that perhaps it was the pH level in the soil that the, uh, musk melon needs a specific pH requirement that, um, I just wasn't meeting. I've never really tested the pH in any of my beds, so I, I don't know. Are you a brave man? <laughs> sure. Are you? A, do you have outdoor cats? I have no outdoor cats. No. Well, in the neighborhood, yes, but. Well, the no. way farmers used to do a soil test back before the state labs were readily available is they would taste a little bit of the soil. Okay. A sweet soil is alkaline, and right. an acidic soil is bitter. Now, I'm not okay. sure, you know, the growing range of melons, as best I can remember, is, you know, right in the neutral, 6.5 to 7. But okay. um, all of your other crops did well? Um, yes, beets did very well. Tomatoes are always doing well. Um, even the the watermelon did really well last year, too. So, um, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Um, obviously watermelons and these melons are in the same family as well. Right. Um, and pumpkin. But I've always, um, I've always stressed that the, uh, the musk melons, the quote cantaloupes, the chanterelle melons, uh, they're the one that this phenomenon, uh, occurs with, with growing cucumbers. So hmm. my, my, and obviously you're going to change varieties, right? Yes. Um, I saw lots of larger cantaloupes in in the garden stands around me anyway, so I figured that they grow here, so I might as well try a a bigger one. Yeah, and you're growing vertically to save space? Uh, Yes, correct. Okay. Um, Don't forget, when you get—now, you can trellis 
uh, large-scale melons, but they have to be supported. So right. the old philosophy or the old way of doing this was in the days of pantyhose, that once pantyhose got ripped or were no longer wearable, you would use them to tie up the melons once they appeared and support them kind of in their own little hammock. Right, right. Now, what did you, how do you water? Did you water? Um, on occasion, it would be probably once a week when I could after, uh, before work. Um, it probably wasn't suitable, but I stopped watering them like I was supposed to maybe a week before they uh, they were fully ripe. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. What I would do is um, get a rain gauge. That's the cheapest and best investment you can make. And put it out in the garden and check it, say, every Sunday, whatever works for you. If you have gone a week and there's no rain in the gauge, you need to water. But you need to water deeply for that once a week. Um, You say you're watering before you go to work. I'm talking like drip hoses for four to five hours once a week. Okay. And I would make sure that they got uh, their watering needs were tended to uh, during dry times. We always have invisible droughts um, in the summer in Pennsylvania where we really don't notice it. But then it's like, oh, yeah, it hasn't rained in three weeks. It it was dry this past summer yeah, at, at the end of it. Yeah, that alone can make melons bitter. OK, so pay more attention uh, to the watering. Try a different variety um, and grow your cucumbers as far away as possible. Maybe even hang some netting in between them so the bees don't go directly from one to the other. Right. Okay. Okay. But I'm thinking it's it's. I have uh, jars of I have jars of uh, three old pickles right now, so I, I could take a year off of cucumbers anyway. <laughs> well, that would be an interesting experiment to see if the problem comes back then. But I'm yeah. thinking uh, pay more attention to your watering, uh, grow okay. an easier to grow, more common variety, and you should be fine. Okay. Okay? Hey, thank you very much, Mike. Uh, my pleasure, Adam. You take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. All right, it's time for our occasional special feature in the news. This story comes to us from the Center Daily Times, that's C-E-N-T-R-E, that serves the Penn State area and Happy Valley. It's by Josh Moyer. Now, I'm just going to quote the first part. Penn State is moving forward with a plan that could one day ensure each of its 24 campuses boasts an arboretum, or at the very least, a public space specializing in trees and shrubs, even if improving campus appearance isn't the priority. Sure, officials are excited about the prospect of gradually beautifying the Commonwealth campuses, But above all, they're looking forward to the research and teaching opportunities that come along with such a blueprint. In December of last year, 
seven campuses announced the launch of the Commonwealth Arboreta Network, which calls for the involved campuses to inventory trees and plant life, collaborate on research, and provide a hands-on space for learning. There's not yet a complete timetable for the network, but eventually officials envision cooperation and arboretums on all 24 campuses. Now, I know that this is, in some sense, a story local to Pennsylvania, um, but Penn State University's main campus is our land-grant university and the site of the state soil lab, and it's great to see them taking this unusual initiative. Casey Scar, director of both the network and the Arboretum at Penn State, says it's there to make people feel better because we know when people connect with nature, they flourish. It makes good economic sense because this is not the type of thing that's going to draw heavily on tuition dollars. It also stimulates private partnerships as well as fundraising editors. So it's not going to draw heavily on campus resources. It's going to benefit campus resources. And obviously it makes good environmental sense because by having more trees, we're helping to solve our climate goals. Probably that should have been reach our climate goals. Um, Penn State's campuses stretch uh, all the way from Pittsburgh to the Philadelphia area, and that includes a lot of different native ranges. Take the sugar maple, for example. The trees were once scattered all across the state, and they need snow to grow properly. But due to climate change, their populations have dwindled along with that reliable snow cover. With Penn State's new Commonwealth Arboretum Network, once the inventories are completed, researchers can compare growth rates by region and climate to better understand the tree's planting zones and future outlook. For other species, they might factor in elevation, discuss pests and pesticides, calculate how much carbon it sequesters, etc. From the bottom of the state to the top of the state, we really do see a lot of microclimates, said Marianne Smith, faculty chair of the network and curator of the Penn State Schuylkill Arboretum. You can have two cities that are on the same latitude, but they don't have the same growing patterns because of something like elevation. It gets to be really interesting when we look at how the climate patterns are across the state and what potential that can have on trees. I'll add here that this is something that's happening all over the United States where people are recognizing the trees' native ranges are changing. And here's an attempt to get in front of it. It is noted that arboretums also tend to satisfy the main parts of the university's land-grant mission, which focuses on teaching, research, and service. Ideally, officials would also like to see Penn State's arboreta formally accredited at ArbNet. 
that's A-R-B-N-E-T, which partners with the American Public Gardens Association, accreditation can take about six months and requires a minimum of 25 species of trees and or woody plants, along with an organizational plan, staff, volunteers, and public access. Now, there are four levels of arboretums. Level one requires that minimum of 25 species, while the higher levels gradually become more demanding. Level two, for instance, requires a minimum of 100 species, in addition to enhanced education and public programming. So that's, I never knew that. I never knew there were different levels of accrediting arboretums. And one thing that's noted in the story, I can't find it right now, is a lot of these plans involve tearing up parking lots and turning them into parks, just the opposite of what Joni Mitchell predicted. Now, a Penn State alumni, James Ingram, had already set aside an endowment to establish this network. So Ingram, now the chief operating officer of Bartlett Tree Experts, was able to jumpstart the vision that officials say has been fully embraced by the university. I have yet to encounter within state any resistance to this, Sklar said. Everyone sees the benefit for what it is. It's a living laboratory. It's a living museum. It's a living library of plants. So congratulations to Penn State uh, for looking forward. If anybody was going to do it in Pennsylvania, it was them. And we wish them great luck. And we would urge other land-grant universities around the country to follow their example. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody that my return to the Connecticut Flower and Garden Show at the Hartford Convention Center in February is now less than a month away. I'll do an enlightening question and answer session on Friday afternoon, the 23rd. And then I'll do talks on titanic tomato growing, composting, and raised bed building on Saturday the 24th. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be back with wise words about manure. And we'll take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll be able to deliver the question of the week warning you against tilling tragedy and the proper use of fresh manure. So stay tuned. It's coming right up after a little bit more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. 888-492-9444. 
44. Janine, help us out. Save us. How are you, Janine? Oh, I'm good, thanks. And where is Janine good? Um, I live in Easton. Okay, Easton, Pennsylvania. Not far from here. Well, what can we do you for? Um, So I had a lot of plants that were doing really well in my sunroom over the summer. Mm -hmm. And as it got cold, I started bringing them in, and they were fine. But then no, once no, he no, 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 on, I'm going to stop you right there. Um, was the sunroom open and exposed to the weather? Um, no, it's closed. It has windows. It's Yeah, it's closed. So what did you bring them into? My dining room. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Proceed. Okay. Um, so I brought them in, and they were fine. And then once we put the heat on, they started to get really droopy, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not sure how to bring them back. Why did they not stay in the sunroom? Did you have spilkas? You got to move stuff around. No, it just gets really cold in there at night. It's not heated. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, how many plants are we talking about that are um, unhappy? Um, like several, several. Like a, yeah, like eight. Oh, okay. Seven. Yeah, that's more than several. That's like a baseball team minus the pitcher. Uh, <laughs> so, what kind of heat you got? Oh, that's a good question. Electric. So you got electric baseboard heat. Yes. Do you know if um, the oil burner, or whatever? Um, Mm-hmm. No, oil burner wouldn't feed electric. Electric feeds electric. Um, do you know if there's a humidifier attached to it at all? I have no idea. Okay. Well, I think you're in, the only problem here is your indoor air is too dry. Now, um, how often do you water your plants? How do you water your plants? Um, about weekly, and then maybe twice a week I spray them with water. Okay, that's a very good idea. Maybe more than weekly. Well, the easiest way to judge the water needs of a potted plant are to actually rock the pot. If the pot, feel, oh. if the pot feels heavy, the soil is still saturated with water. If the pot feels alarmingly light, no matter how much time has passed or not passed in between, it's dry as a bone. So the best way to give these plants a, a kind of a recovery shot is to take them one by one to the kitchen sink, uh, put a couple inches of water in the kitchen sink, and let them sit there for an hour. Feel the weight when you put them in, and then feel the weight when you put them on the drain board. If they felt light going in, they might have even rocked in the water until they could pull up enough from the drainage holes underneath, and then they feel heavy, boom, that's it. They're drying out in the indoor air of winter before I turned my um, personal humidifiers on, Uh, both for myself and for the health of my plants, the indoor humidity in my house was around 30, uh, 30%. And that's the temperature at which you can rub your feet on a carpet 
and then taser somebody else in the room just by touching their sweater. <laughs> and it can be really difficult. To, what, what kind of containers are they in? Mostly ceramic. A glaze? No, not ceramic. Terracotta? No, sorry, not ceramic. Terracotta. Yeah, yeah terracotta. see, that's the worst. Terracotta. Oh. <laughs> well, terracotta is beautiful, but it is porous. It wicks its moisture into the air. So once you fill up the soil um, to fully saturated, the terracotta releases that moisture into the air to try to humidify your home. So really, I think um, in that room, you find a safe place uh, to put a humidifier. One thing I've learned over the years, buy a humidifier that you fill from the top, not one you have to unscrew and turn upside down and keep okay. it going. Almost any modern humidifier will show you the relative humidity. Once you get up around 45%, the plants should be very happy. 50% is ideal, but you don't want to go over that because um, you don't want your house to get too moist. But I can tell you that's not going to mm -hmm. happen. Electric heat is very dry heat, unfortunately. And there's not a lot of, you can do about it at the source. For instance, if you had radiators, you could put dishes of water on top of them, and that's the non-electric uh, way to humidify the air. And keep the containers as far away from the heat sources as you can. And until you get that indoor humidity up, you can mist these plants twice a day. They love it. And it'll help keep spider mites away. It'll help keep them humidified until you can uh, reconcile the indoor air. You will feel better. Uh, breathing in air that isn't too dry in the wintertime. Uh, that's when you get the coughs and everything like that because your mucous membranes are drying out as well. So I think the answer here is misting, humidification, and everybody will go home happy. Okay, great. Thanks. All right. Okay, thank you. Oh, thank you. And you take care, and bye-bye. Uh, All right, bye, Mike. Well, as promised, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling a tilling tragedy in the making. Mike in Statesville, North Carolina writes, I have an ample supply of fresh cow manure and hay, which I have added to my garden and compost bin. I figure it'll winter over and then I'll till it into my soil in the spring. Am I headed down the right path? No, Mike. You are instead headed down the path of despair, specifically the despair of endless weed pulling and poor plant production. Let's start with what you should have done, which, by the way, is the same as you would do with fresh horse manure. Make a big contained pile of as much of the stuff as possible and let it cook down over the winter. The bigger the pile, the hotter it'll get, creating a nice hand-warming spot when you're outside on a chilly day, 
and more importantly, cooking to death the almost imaginable number of weed seeds that your raw material contains. Like many herbivores, cows and horses have a very inefficient digestive system. It allows any weed or crop seeds they have devoured to survive. If anything, their slow digestive process will have primed the seeds to germinate lustily. If you don't fully compost this raw material at high heat before you till it in, you will end up growing the same plants the horse or cow was eating. So ixnay on tilling, as it would plant those seeds where you would hope to grow other things. Back when I was a novice, I tilled a nice batch of fresh horse manure into my raised beds and soon discovered that I had become a farmer of timothy grass and wheat. I got so mad that I started to pull it all out by hand, thus discovering that wheat is sharp. I looked like the invisible man from the elbows down that summer. Sell the tiller. I realize that many old-time gardeners and farmers enjoy using air-polluting, gas- and oil-powered machinery that weighs a ton, makes your arms shake for days afterwards, and carries a reasonable risk of amputation. But the act of tilling can only harm your actual soil. Yes, tilling does loosen up the soil for planting, but it also releases vital nutrients from that soil as it does so, especially nitrogen, which loves to escape its earthly bonds and go soaring out to play with all of its cousins that make up the majority of the air we breathe, thus robbing your garden of its number one plant food. Perhaps more importantly, Tilling uncovers bazillions of already existing weed seeds as it cuts open the earth, exposing those seeds to sunlight, the trigger for germination. Then what happens? You smooth that soil out nicely, which in other circumstances we would call planting. And then you're shocked, shocked to see all those unwanted plants pop up. You should be proud of those weeds. You planted and nurtured them perfectly. Oh, and if that soil is moist, tilling will also destroy the structure of your earthly investment, making it clumpy for years afterwards. And you'll kill lots of earthworms as well. Doing absolutely nothing before planting would yield much better results than planting in tilled soil. You won't have nearly as many weeds to pull. The smart alternative to tilling is to build raised beds no wider than four feet, thus ensuring that you can reach the center without stepping on your precious growing soil. Compacted soil is the second biggest human cause of plant death. At the very least, use stakes and string to make a traffic pattern for your garden. Create dedicated growing areas that are also no wider than four feet, although they can be as long as you want, surrounded by walking lanes that are at least two feet wide to accommodate your clodhoppers. You can use a mulching mower to keep the weeds under control in these walking lanes. 
eventually the clippings will break down, and then they can be shoveled back up on top of your beds for some free fertilizer. Come spring, apply your fully composted soil amendments to the surface of your beds. Never mix compost or composted manure in directly. Allow it to slowly release its nutrients into the soil. If you use granulated organic fertilizers, apply them to the bare soil and then cover them with an inch or two of compost or composted manure to help those granules release their nutrients faster and protect those nutrients from erosion. Luckily, our listener Mike hasn't tilled anything in yet, so he can gently rake or hoe the manure off his garden and into one big pile, along with any hay and manure he can rescue from his compost pile. Then just let it sit until it no longer has any heat or obnoxious odor. It takes a hot pile to kill weed seeds. Then, and only then, it is safe to spread on top of your growing beds. And don't forget that those beds have probably been amassing a nice reserve of weed seeds as long as you've been tilling them. To limit this potential problem, run a lawnmower over your designated growing areas until you see dirt blowing out the back of that mower. Then, wait 10 days to 2 weeks. Then use a super sharp hoe to gently slice any new growth off at the soil line. You are now the proud owner of a stale seed bed, ready to receive your composted manure. Well, that sure was a timely look at how to handle manure now, wasn't it? Luckily, you are once again able to read this awesome advice over at your leisure or your leisure at the Gurney's website, kind of. They're still working on linking us up directly. In the meantime, check out the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page for a direct link. Yikes, my producer is threatening to till my beds if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse of a question teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT.org. Please include your location. You'll find all of our contact information, plus audio of this show, audio and video of previous shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a public radio show and podcast produced and delivered to you every week from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he decided to rewire the pump while standing in a flooded basement. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. 
Check out her fine work and keep up with what's happening with our show and the question of the week at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Jasmine Griffin. Our irreplaceable audio editor is the lovely Jonas. We had assistance this week from Zach the Tack Wisniewski, while Ducky the Dancing Duck just danced all around him. Our beloved and beleaguered CEO is Tim Fallon. I'm your bedraggled host, Mike McGrath, thanking my Snow Joe for helping me get into the studio today. But I had to leave that machine at home, so I may still be here when I see you again next week. Somebody turn up the heat in here. Come on. I can't feel my fingers. <laughs>